like I did become obsessed with this issue when I was in law school and I spent way more time than I should have uh, reading all these expert depositions and these trial transcripts and stuff and I had in my mind that I was going to write something for the journal I was on and I don't know if you guys have ever been in this position where you just become disempowered for a particular task that you want to do. I I didn't. Mm-hmm. I'm not from uh, a prestigious undergrad with a lot of writing experience or anything. I've had to write. I've had to learn my writing skills on the job. Um, and exam writing, as you know, has nothing to do with actual writing. Uh, so yeah. I wasn't a good writer. I think at the start anyway. But I just could not fucking do this. I tried a million different times. I spent years <laughs> collecting research you on this thing. You called the guy from the ferry on, case on the phone for God's I called sake. the guy from the ferry case. But somehow it just came out fucking dog shit. And I honestly still feel like a little humiliated about it that I could not get it together. So this episode has like a little bit of personal hook for me because I, I acknowledge that what I drafted there just <laughs> did not come out right. And uh, I le- I legitimately almost cashed in on this episode and was like, fuck it, let's just do something else. Right. <laughs> right. We recorded this previously. Mine's Tim, mine Tim's still audio working, died. This thing got and, in my head. And yeah. <laughs> Andy's the second curse. shot at getting this out also died. It is a shame though, Andy. To, to imagine a, a better world where you wrote that article. No, well, the f- and, uh, the yeah. funny thing is that, like, the amount of people that would have yeah. read my fucking note uh, is, like, me and then my wife would pretend that she read it. Uh, <laughs> so basically the same number of people that are going to listen to this podcast. Well, that's the thing, though. The yeah, podcast will probably get some actual listens. There you go. Yeah, from some real attorneys, too. Not the, not the bullshit fake attorneys <laughs> who read law, law journals, right. <laughs> which are professors. Uh, I, I will say, man, just sorry uh, as an aside, this is getting me fired up again. After the last time we recorded, I was like, we should all just start a fucking law firm, and this is what we yeah. should do. <laughs> <laughs> we should challenge all this shit on constitutional grounds. It's so fucking offensive. Hi everybody, welcome to A-Lab, this is Andy. Even if you're not a lawyer, you might not be surprised to hear that the use of facial, race, and sex classifications is almost non-existent in the law. It's basically not allowed to have a law or regulation which describes one outcome for a black person and a different outcome for a white person, or one outcome for a woman and a different outcome for a man. These kinds of classifications receive heavy scrutiny in courts and they basically are non-existent. But what this episode is about is an area of the law, personal injury where the use of race and sex classifications is not only permitted, it's common. And that's the use of national race and sex statistics to reduce damage awards for women and for people of color on the basis that their outcomes, their life expectancy, or their wages will be lower because, specifically because, of their race or their sex. In this episode, we talk about this practice, we talk about how it works, some of the worst examples, and why no one seems to be challenging. It's pretty shocking, but we hope you enjoy the episode. Okay, so tonight we're talking about uh, a lawsuit against the NFL. Uh, at least that's how we're starting. There, there was a lawsuit filed a long time ago. Uh, I'm sure you heard about it uh, regarding like every player in the history of the NFL up until you know the mid 2000s or mid to 20 teens or something. Uh, who 
may have been hit so hard that they uh, developed CTE or symptoms of cranial trauma that led to neurocognitive decline. And so there was a class litigation filed against the NFL uh, and they reached a settlement and uh, that has all been litigated a few years ago. In August of last year, there was a new case filed that was like a collateral attack on the settlement agreement. And this case is pretty interesting because it is two players they're black men, and they're challenging the terms of the settlement agreement. And what they're saying is that the settlement agreement is being administered in a racist way. Yeah, and and to, to dig in a little bit, basically, I mean, obviously, I mean, the NFL didn't admit that they were at fault, but it, it was plain that the NFL was going to lose a lawsuit or at least spend a lot of money in a lawsuit that wouldn't have been worth it for them to do. And so they basically um, said, you know, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll pay out. I mean, obviously, it's, it's a process of settlement. Uh, and so they're just determining the damages for everybody. And so, I mean, everybody, even within a class, everybody's going to have different damages. And so they're, they're making sure that everybody is getting paid at the amount that they need to get paid. That's right. The way the settlement is, is administered is that you, uh, as a, as a player who is, you know, applying to be, you know, to be paid out as part of the settlement class, uh, they're going to give you some tests, and they're going to give you cognitive tests. And they want to see, because some people may not be exposed to this at all. Maybe, maybe you weren't, uh, maybe you were a kicker and you didn't get hit very much or something and you don't really belong here. Um, but what they're going to do is they're going to perform some neurocognitive tests on you, attempt to baseline you, and then figure out like how much damage did you actually suffer from your play in the NFL. And then once we can figure that out, if you fall below a certain threshold, then we will assume that your symptoms are somewhat related to your NFL play. You'll get you know a standardized payout from the settlement. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, I just want to say really quick before we get into it, though, just sort of a, a preview of the sort of issues that we're going to have is like they're talking about like you have to show decline. Right. So it's not just that you have um, some sort of deficit of cognitive right. function. Now, the NFL saying, well, like, how do we how do we know you weren't stupid? Uh, before you got to the NFL, right? Yeah. And how do you go back in time and, and measure that? And so there's a test for that. The test takes 10 minutes to administer. It's just a, a set of, I think, uh, 70 words written out that you can't, like, sound out, you know, like uh, dichotomy or xenophobia or palatable. And... The question is whether the players can pronounce it. And it's really just a test of whether you've read this and seen this word before, right? It's mm -hmm. like essentially a, a background education because this is not the sort of information or knowledge that CTE will damage. But so the NFL just sorts players into three categories, which is smart, average, and dumb based on this one 10-minute <laughs> test. And if you're like in the dumb category, it's going to make it much harder for you to... Uh, you know, show any cognitive decline, which is a, a big problem if you're a football player and maybe your high school experience and college experience wasn't quite the same as everybody else's and, and you weren't like reading the same materials, you know, with the same degree of care. Yeah, I'm, so. we're talking a little bit from stereotypes here, but some football players did not make it around <laughs> to the classics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just, I'm just going out on the limb here and saying. So it's like just from the start, you can see like everything with this is, is kind of fucked and, and sort of like, you know, fly by wire uh, shit uh, that, uh, you know, leaves a lot of room for uh, 
malfeasance. So wait, that test is had been administered in the past to these people? No. No, no, you administer now. The idea is is like, look, if you know how to pronounce xenophobia, that means you've seen the word xenophobia before you've read it. You've maybe used it in a sentence or whatever. And CTE won't rob you of that the way it'll rob you of other things. So it's really just a test of your educational background. It's not really an intelligence test. But so I think the baselines also, as we're going to get into, is, you know, they they, they can't compare it to the past, so they compare it. It's a kind of this abstract, normal human being, kind of a, a human being of average intelligence. Right. Um, and so if you fall below that threshold, then you show the damages and you show that you've had the, the mental impairment from CTE. That's However, right. very key to this is that – and what the, the NFL players were a, a attacking in the collateral suit on the settlement agreement was that for each set of players, they divided them out into race – and gave the the black players an even lower threshold that they needed to clear in order to show the damages. <laughs> right. right. Essentially, right. what they said. Is, so, so you have to. So, in order to prove uh, damage here, so that way you can get you know money from the settlement, you have to fall a certain amount from what they have theoretically assigned as your baseline, and then we want to see you score a certain amount beneath that baseline. And then once once we've measured that damage, we can say, oh, okay, you, you now are, are a member of this class, and you deserve some kind of payout. Now, when it comes to black players, what they say is, well, uh, psycho, you know, certain psychiatric, psychological studies have demonstrated that black, pay, that, that, that black uh, people have, have lower baselines to start with on these tests. The way we've administered them has uh, revealed that across race, we get lower baselines at the start. And so, therefore, the only fair thing to do, according to them, is to make you fall the same amount as a white player would have to fall. But what that means is that if your delta has to be the same, that means you have to show greater neurocognitive decline. Yeah. So if a white player is scoring, you know, negative five, if you, and you're a black player, you have to score negative six. You have to be more impaired in order to right. get access to the settlement. Exactly. Now, that itself is perhaps shocking to the conscience but another big piece another big fact that's going on here is like i mean you ever watched an nfl game most <laughs> of the settlement class is black right. men yeah so they fucked the whole class here right mm-hmm. and that is not a theoretical i mean the, the people that are attacking this are people that showed measurable cognitive decline but did not show uh the amount required for a, a, a black person essentially and so that means exactly that- they show cognitive decline that would have compensated them if they were white but once they took their scores and they're like wait 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 run these through the black guy feel oh yeah sorry you go you don't get any money due to being black yeah. we, we, we have a sense that since you're black you were probably pretty stupid yeah, before you got assume, into the nfl your brain didn't work that well so i just don't believe it's getting repeatedly pounded in the head that's yeah. ex- the explanation for and your deficits here. One thing that should jump out to you is there are not a whole lot of places in the law where you get to do that, where you get to just cut somebody's right. damages based on the color of their skin. Uh, right. Or, I mean, the damages, the damages, <laughs> sorry, we'll, we'll get to on. where, yeah. But yeah, yeah. in other areas of the law, generally speaking, uh, you know, due to history and whatnot, uh, the courts, and, and in ways sometimes that are, are disadvantageous to African Americans, the courts are very clear about being colorblind and that um, courts cannot just explicitly use race 
to to change legal standards in this way. Yeah. Yeah, I think what you're getting right. at is that is that facial race classifications yes. in the American legal system are extremely rare and they get uh, what we call strict scrutiny. The minute you see one, if it's a facial race classification, we're not even talking about like, well, yeah, but mostly when you apply it, it turns out it always applies to black people. We're talking about straight up, they're black, they get less money. You do not, yeah. you normally would not see that. The law says you don't see that. What this yeah. episode is about and what we're using this case as an entry point to is that there is an area of the law where you see it all the fucking time. Right. Yeah. In like every case. Yeah. Get excited, baby. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Buckle up. In its rejection of Henry's claim, the claims administrator questioned whether his performance on the test was valid and asserted that the doctor used inappropriate norms. Two years later, Henry went in for another evaluation with a neuropsychologist. Now this clinician used an NFL recommended formula that took into account age, gender, education, and race, and concluded that Henry did not qualify for compensation. How did you react when you learned that there was a different standard being used for black players to get benefits as compared to white players? I felt so betrayed, and I still feel that way. Two different systems? I, 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 how, how can that be okay? Why should that be okay? So that's why we started talking about this case, because it's an entry point into this practice in tort law that actually, if this was surprising to you, you're never going to believe the shit we're about to tell you about, <laughs> right. which is that actually every fucking tort damage award gets divided on the basis of race. It's, it's yeah. nearly universal, and it's unfucking challenged Nobody does anything about it. Despite the huge uh, kind of formal bar on, on these kind of facial racial categories. It's baffling. So let, let's jump into it now. We'll talk about the specifics yeah. in tort damage awards. And, and we are going to hit the constitutional challenges. Um, but I think for reasons we're going to talk about, I don't think the constitutional argument is the most interesting part of what's going on. Never is. But, no. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So the use of statistics in tort damage awards is uh, extremely common. To back up for people who are not lawyers who aren't familiar with tort litigation, when you have a personal injury to you, you get hit in a car accident, you, a government vehicle hits you, you slip and fall in a store or something like that, uh, medical malpractice or assault and battery, any kind of thing where you're going to sue somebody for money because they injured you, right? The, your, your child's toy has a big red button on it that sprays COVID right in their face <laughs> or something. Uh, that... If, if you're gonna if you're gonna sue somebody for money, once you prove liability, all the liability facts, we find out that yeah, they breached a duty to you, or yes, they purposefully injured you. Then you have to move on to proving damages. What that means is that you have to prove what expenses, what new expenses you're incurring because of the injury, and also what expenses you're gonna incur going right. forward, or what opportunities you might have lost. Right. Yeah. The the justification right. obviously is that. You know, you were hurt by the actions of someone else, either intentional or unintentional, and the damages are meant to put you as close to as back in the place that you would have been had you not been injured. You obviously can't undo the injury, but hopefully through the power of money, we can put you as close to being on that track as you could be, um, both due to, as, as Andy said, past damages and future loss that you reasonably could foresee that you would have occurred. Yeah, that one one way that I learned to think about this in a very dramatic way is like um if you have a medical malpractice situation uh when giving birth, right? A dead baby, if they mm -hmm. kill your baby, you know, 
that's like a small case, right? Like because right. you know yeah. maybe it's the, the measure of damages is the suffering that the baby had or the mother or whatever. But uh, damaged baby with a lifetime of care, you know, unbelievable. Um, that's yeah. a good case, you know. So I, it always stunned me uh, to know that, you know, that uh, they're better off uh, from a pure liability and damages perspective, just killing your baby, uh, than they are uh, in uh, just giving it uh, some brain damage. That's 100% true. So this particular issue that we're talking about tonight is something that I, I researched in law school kind of obsessively. I kind of became obsessed with it. Um, and I read, I don't know, hundreds of expert reports and uh, expert depositions and some trial testimony. And one of the most common kinds of cases is what you're talking about. It's like a baby who uh, experienced is found to have experienced some kind of partial uh, asphyxiation during birth. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, end up with some sort of palsy that renders them, you know, essentially non non responsive or something. And the medical expenses for caring for a child like that, yeah, you're talking about an enormous yeah, amount because of money the child is otherwise their life. physically okay. It's just suffered some brain uh, damage, uh, and uh, they they have to calculate what a lifetime uh, of care through the child's you know actuarial life expectancy would be uh, right. to take care of that person uh, for the rest of their life. That's right. That jumps ahead and explains a, a, a big piece of this that we're going to talk about. It's a great example. So the categories of, the categories of damages that we're going to talk about generally here are mostly lost wages. So if you can't work mm-hmm. anymore or if the kind of work you can do is different, uh, we have to, you know, the person who injured you might have to make up the wages you've lost and you won't earn in the future. And then your medical expenses, which we just talked about. Now, in order to estimate stuff like this, you can't just come. You can't just have anybody come in. The plaintiff doesn't get to get on the stand and say, "I yeah, think right. I was going to make whatever." You have to hire somebody because uh, of the way the federal rules of evidence work, or, or just everybody's rules of evidence. Uh, you have to hire uh, some kind of expert witness, and the expert witness will review various statistical sources, usually based on government data, and it'll be a forensic economist or some kind of accountant or somebody. And what they'll do is they'll, they'll take a look at all that data, they'll punch it into a machine or some spreadsheet they bought from, you know, econometrics.com or something, and uh, they'll punch it in with whatever theory they want to apply, and then they'll spit out a figure for your lost wages and spit out a figure for your medical expenses. Now, we're explaining all this to explain how the race and sex statistics end up getting used, okay? So if you estimate losses like this future losses from a catastrophic injury that is going to be inherently imprecise we don't know what the future would have held for you so i don't know maybe you were gonna you know get a phd and be a you know prodigious you know successful research scientist and then a you know start moderna and take advantage of a pandemic maybe um (laughs) statistically (laughs) you were not it's a land of opportunity anything's possible but, right. And also, yeah. statistically, you weren't going to die tomorrow, mm-hmm. right? Like, the, the plaintiff's right. attorneys are going to say, like, well, they could be dead tomorrow, so the, the damages should be zero. So they got right. to set it somewhere. In the- right. They ha- so, so you have to use these statistical charts in order to kind of – what they do is they, they try to locate the plaintiff with enough variables to suggest that we think your educational attainment would have been X. We think your career would have paid about Y. We think you would have lived this long and worked this long, stuff like that. Now, the government statistics that they are pulling from – are like, you know, Census Bureau or CDC Statistics, Bureau of Labor Statistics. Now, these statistics are all differentiated on the basis of race and sex because the government wants to collect information on that. They want to know, are black, what, what are black people being paid? What is the pay gap between men and women? How long are people living? We want to know those sort of things. And if there's, you know, 
ideally in a, in a world where you thought the government worked you might want the government to try to investigate like why is black life expectancy so low what is <laughs> yeah what about our should we investigate that maybe we should take a look right right yeah it's important to know that these things are are used in a variety of contexts outside of stiffing over defendants who are the victims of of massive tort injuries uh you know they're they're used to to show you know things that like you would see in the news about about vaccine distributions is they're they're using the census data and they're seeing what tracts are, are you know where those vaccines are going. Okay, so so to dive into the specifics, at least explain a little bit. I think we did with uh, Tark's example earlier of the of the injured baby. We basically covered what what the deal is with medical expenses. The main the only thing I want to add that we didn't cover earlier is that these le- these medical expenses are. Uh, projected out over your statistical life expectancy, which you usually draw from CDC vital statistics charts, which come out every for every year. They come out about every year, um, and they cover each year's life expectancy. The, my, my point with all of that is that those charts are divided by race, and so once you add up how many wheelchairs you're going to need and how, many, how, lo- how much an in-home health aid costs for 12 hours a day or whatever, you multiply all that out by your entire lifespan, uh, the coefficient on the front of that number is going to be how long do you expect to have to pay this bill? Yeah. And statistically, what they do is uh, you go, oh, it's a black guy, so cut a couple years off that. Give him a discount. <laughs> because the, the the way the stats work is that black right. men live the least long of anybody. Uh, Hispanic women live the most, have the longest life expectancy, and everybody else is kind of in between. Yeah, and it would be unfair for you to use a different number than the one that corresponds to your race category right uh yeah and we're gonna we're gonna talk about what where there might be some analytical problems there <laughs> although i'm sure you're able to think of some of these yes. but it's important to know that, that these things do get used i mean i i have a case i i wrote one here in the out in the outline this is a time where this is somebody's i remember this case uh reading this it's like shocking it is someone's own expert is testifying and this is their own this is the plaintiff's expert so the attorney the questioning attorney, that would be the defendant's attorney, says, now I'm looking here, now you got her remaining life expectancy to be 41.3 years, correct? Now this is a woman who had died in her late 30s, I think. Uh, and the expert goes, well, that actually looks a little high for the black woman. I got the tables here. It's 38. Yeah, it should be about 38 <clears throat> years. And so the defendant's attorney goes, oh, okay, so you're going to be changing this 41 years to 38 he goes yeah i may have used a white woman you know not realizing that she's black <laughs> that's her <laughs> own expert witness that's yeah. like millions of dollars right you know we, we we talk a lot of shit about lawyers on this podcast but you want to hang out with some mm-hmm. real fucking perverts uh, get together with some actuaries <laughs> guys who oh who yeah like going to court <laughs> <laughs> yeah expert witnesses also yeah 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 yeah, yeah. expert witnesses and actuaries both I mean, just just to hammer the point home, that the plaintiff loses 3.3 years or 8% of that projected life expectancy just off of that little exchange. Like an 8% haircut on on your damages just off like oopsies and like nobody saying anything about that, nobody fighting it, nobody... From her own expert, they're paying hundreds of dollars an hour. Now, 
I, I misstated something. I said that this woman died, and I don't think that life expectancy would be as relevant if she had right. died. So uh, my, yeah. my guess is she was still alive. So I just wanted to cover that. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, that means she's there in the court and just hearing, like, eh, we're going to reduce your your damages that are meant to put you whole. Uh, yeah, sorry. Looking across the table, I can see that she's black, yeah. so no fucking way. <laughs> so, okay, t- Tim, can you tell us about wages? Yeah, sure. So just like medical expenses, um, when somebody is injured and they can't go back to work, or if obviously if they're dead and can't work, um, you also have to figure out what the value of the wages would have been to either them or their estate in their lifetime. Mm. It's what you would have earned. And even if you're only temporarily injured, you still have to calculate the wages for what you would have earned during the time that you are injured. Um, and so it's made up of a few factors that experts are able to plug into. Um, but the main ones that you would have, again, is work-life expectancy, which works similar to, to life-life expectancy, uh, their educational attainment, and the career in the field that they're in. Um, and so career, that's that's pretty easy for people that are in established careers. If you know, you're, say you're a lawyer or a doctor, there's kind of a, a going rate for what you would have been. And if you're already established in your career – you basically just plug that into you know how many years they had worked, where they are in the in the in the kind of totem pole, uh, and how much longer they have left to to work, and then that's pretty easy. But the problem that you get is when somebody that gets injured or or killed is a child or a young person who hasn't entered the workforce or only has a little right. bit of time working in the workforce. You have to predict what the rest of their career would have looked like. Uh, and again, they have to do the same thing that they would have done with medical expenses and just kind of quote unquote, assume what the average is. And I say have again, also with quotes, uh, that they would have achieved the same amount as an average person, because we have no idea again, if they would have been the head of Pfizer, we have no idea if they would have been a bum for their entire life. So you have to use statistics to kind of generate an average and then provide damages to the, the, the plaintiff that way. Right. But right. but what you define as the average matters. Right. So if you're going to say so what you're going to get from, you know, say the the other side's expert is they're going to say, well, what we need to do is we need to be as specific as possible. Let's not just go take the average person and what they would earn out in the world. Let's, you know, look, I mean, this is a, this is a Latino kid from San Antonio. You really think they're going to college? Yeah. That's a real case. I'm not making <laughs> right. that up just to be right. racist. And so, and, and then, just, and, just, and so you use clear. that race yeah. and sex data again that shows the level of educational attainment for Latino uh, males, and then you, you end up embedding that damage into the damage award for the tort claim. Yeah. That's right. That's right. You get to pin minority status on them, uh, and you get to say, well – your peers aren't going to college. Let's not talk about why that is. It's just that's what it is, and right. you probably would have kept you would you would have came to the same. <laughs> and result. the fucked up thing is the reason that it is what it is tends to be. I mean, not always, but a lot of the the torts that happen are the sorts of things that get people out of the workforce, uh, either you know over the course of their working life or because you know they got t-boned by a fucking Staten Island ferry or what have you, and and those things get people out of the workforce. Um, or they, or they make them injured and, and don't allow them to either go to college or go to higher-paying manual labor jobs. Well, I think I think one thing that this that's more interesting is that what you can probably guess is causing some of the depressed results of minorities and, and women in mm-hmm. some of these cases. It's probably they're being fucking discriminated against, <laughs> yeah. right? right? When you look right. when you yeah. look at like universally lower black wages. 
and you say, well, all I'm doing is I'm just looking at the I'm looking at the chart. The chart says they get paid mm-hmm. less, and I'm just applying that to the chart here. Here's a black guy, right? So they get the lower chart. They get the shit chart. Uh, without, but if you start to investigate, well, well, why do you think they get paid less? Well, I mean, at least some of it is probably <laughs> right. People are being fucking <laughs> racist. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing is, it's like. You're like, okay, yeah, you've been damaged. We agree. Everybody agrees, and you should be compensated. Um, and sure, the average damages for you know the average person would be X. But like, let's be real. This is what they're saying. Let's be real. We live in a racist society. Right. Yes. We live in a sexist society, and so you're not really average, yeah. are you? You're, <laughs> yes. you're in the lower racial caste here. So why should we be treating you like you're? Let's average? not pretend that somebody would have paid you at the white rate. I mean, right? yeah, because uh, <laughs> come on. College degrees don't boost your guys' wages half as much as they do for white people. So, yeah, I mean, you're saying you're saying that like almost as a joke, right? Like, or or or, or just revealing what they're thinking. But I'll tell you right. that there is a there's this society of forensic economists, uh, economists, uh, the National Association for Forensic. Uh, what a curse! And they put out some kind of new- <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so they they put out this kind of newsletter, and they have not, as to my knowledge, continued asking this question. Perhaps because it was uh, pretty revealing. But they asked a question, a survey of their members: Do you use race and sex data in reaching your personal injury tort plaintiff uh, damage estimates? Fifty percent said, "Yeah, I use both. Absolutely, a hundred percent. I mean, fi- not 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 hundred percent. Fifty percent said, yeah, I use it. Uh, Definitely. Everybody uses sex data. Nobody. That was not even questioned. That was that was totally uncontroversial. But fifty percent use race data. Um, and then they took some comments. And one of the comments from the guy was just one of the comments from one of the guys was just fucking mind blowing. Because what the guy says is, uh, you know what? I I used to think a couple of years ago that." we should probably move away from this. I think that society's changing and this isn't as relevant. He goes, but honestly, I think people are getting more racist. And so I think we kind of have <laughs> to use it. Because- <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Right. I mean, look, if people are going to, look, Nazis are coming back on TV. I mean, you really think that's not having an You're effect gonna out there? going to be a severe but, but- cut to life expectancy for <laughs> right. Jesus right. So what this guy's fucking so what this guy's view is is look if private you know, whatever the level of private discrimination, we gotta make sure that that makes it into yeah. the courtroom. Yeah. Get, right. Let's give some right. let's give some effect to that. Right. I gotta bake in exactly That's... the right amount of racism. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. right. What is we the statistical amount of racism it. that you would experience? We gotta make sure that we get that in there. Well, now that we voted that Cheeto out of the White House, though, uh, the numbers yeah. are probably so trending back up again. Is... Yeah. I'm sh- yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. yes, I'm sure. I'm sure. Okay, so there's one little category I'm just going to hit. It's not wages or, uh, or medical expenses, but I just want people to know it exists, and it's called household expenses. Not every economist uses this, but it's really interesting because what household expenses is is, like, it's tasks you would have performed around the home that you now cannot and probably have to hire out. So it's like maintenance, you're fixing your gutters, you're doing lawn care, chores, painting, replacing stuff, shit like that. Um, So there were analyses done in like the 70s, 80s, and 90s trying to quantify this and figure out like a per hour sort of dollar to it um, because people thought that the economic equations to, to think about the economy were not capturing this kind of value. And so this ended up making it into tort claims eventually. Um, But what the effect of these things is ultimately it's just like the other categories that you end up embedding private discrimination uh because and this is sort of easy to understand because if you think about how economic outcomes 
for black people have been depressed for, I don't know, decades, centuries <laughs> yeah. in this country. Um, these are predominantly renters or people or, 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 or there's there's many, you know, uh, black people, for instance, in public uh, public housing or, you know, Section right. 8s and stuff like that. Renters and, and, and people in public housing do a lot less to do upkeep on their homes because one, it's not my fucking house. You come fix it. Or two, right. you're not supposed to. It's not. It's not your job. It's, you're not allowed to. Somebody has a contract for the lawn. You don't go out and mow the lawn and the projects. Like, right. what are you talking right. about? And so, what people will do is they'll say, "Well, uh, these people don't perform those kinds of activities." But then, for some reason, the charts end up getting divided instead of by socioeconomic uh, class, they get divided by race. And so then you might have like a black homeowner suffer a tort, and they'll come in and they'll go, "Yeah, but you don't work around the house." It's fucking. Yeah. It's fucking baffling. <laughs> it's, it's so ridiculous. You can search. I, I'm not making this it's, up. You can offensive. search this on it's Westlaw offensive. or yeah. Lexus. Just uh, the the little bar on the side that lets you narrow by expert documents will take you right to this shit. Okay, so the categories of damages we just discussed they're different from the kind of statistics we opened with, the kind that are in the NFL suit, right? Because right? the NFL suit is talking about a very particular type of neurocognitive score yeah. and baselining and race norming and stuff like that. Right. But yeah, look, it's the same. The same sort of stuff is is happening uh, with IQ tests, right? Like, which is what the NFL is administering here. There are these, you know, standard neurocognitive intelligence exams, right. um, and like y- y- we have a lot of statistics on this. Like nationwide across the country, IQ test uh, scores have raised by uh, have gone up by I think twenty points since the forties. The average IQ uh, and among black Americans, it's actually raised more than that. Uh, There used to be a 15 point gap between black and white Americans that shrunk. It's less than 10 points now. Um, You see the same thing in a bunch of European countries as as well. Britain, Norway, the Netherlands, Belgium. Um, a whole bunch of countries see this where just the entire IQ of the nation is is rising. So I think you can draw a lot of conclusions from that. But but I think. A, a pretty basic and obvious one is just that, like, these numbers are at least in part the output of, like, some broader social conditions, right? Right. And uh, so uh, the race norming that's going on is is done precisely to control for differing social conditions for uh, black Americans and white, white Americans. And so what you're doing is just reproducing the effects of these different social conditions in, this, in the NFL settlement. You're saying, like, demographic differences in IQ, they're just the output of existing hierarchy. Then, like, with all the other shit Andy's, Andy's talking about, using it to calculate damages is just reproducing that hierarchy. Right, right? to the it's extent... Just, we know that there's at least some, perhaps measurable, uh, depression in these kinds of scores that's coming from, you know, historical race discrimination or, you know, economic segregation, literal racial segregation that existed in the country living in communities that have been like devastated economically that have schools that are underfunded you know kids who are malnourished to the extent you embed that in statistics the statistics are now simply just recording the size of the crater that you created by doing those things and then when you give them effect in a tort damage award you are effectively if you if you cancel out all the irrelevant variables you're effectively telling a guy like uh, sorry, we beat the shit out of your entire race for a couple of centuries, and now you just get less money because you guys are dumb. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. That's like, what they're literally. saying. That's what's going on. Yeah, that's that's it.
That's why uh, the great the great Lebanese scholar uh, <laughs> <laughs> Nassim <laughs> Nicholas Taleb he calls it IQ is a pseudoscientific swindle. Uh, our, our, my people, the Lebanese people, have re- rejected IQ for a long time. Oh, I just this yeah. speaks for all Lebanese. <laughs> on this matter, yes. We've been out of we've been out of the front <laughs> on that issue. Binding to Lev's book. <laughs> yeah, Black Swan. Uh, in bookstores now. talk about the constitutional issues with this but before we get down to that stuff there's some really obvious analytical problems that i'm sure are presented we've been hitting on them already and i think they're probably suggesting themselves in the listeners mind I think you could go and just hear what we just said about all the unfairness about replicating social conditions and all that and still say like well it's happening to them right and i think then even then even if you take as granted like it's more quote-unquote fair to reproduce these these iq disparities or things mm. like that like there are still a lot of problems with using. I think that's a really good point. Yes, because that is the argument that you hear, it's especially just from that forensic economist we were talking about, where they'll say, well, listen, what do you want me to do? It's not my job. My job is just to describe what I think is going to happen to this person. If you don't want to give that effect, that's up to you. But I'm telling you by the math, he's probably going to get discriminated against. The funny part is, is they're probably right. 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 I mean, they're probably correct to, an- to analyze it. The court uh, is the place where we would hope, you know, would put a stop to that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but, but but I think by specifically breaking it out, I mean you can see it up uh, earlier in, in our in our analysis of some of these cases with the the black homeowners who still got the the kind of black damages discount for having less household expenses. I mean I think that right there kind of shows that that using these racial categories is a very blunt way to kind of claw back at damages that people actually deserve right it's not a good proxy even if you thought it was a even if you thought it's representing reality there are still problems um so some of the analytical problems we're going to get into so the first one is that the categories are themselves a little bit unreliable now i'm sure other people are much more qualified to talk from uh theory about race and like whether it's a a a biological thing or, or a psychological construct or a societal construct. I don't know any of that shit. <laughs> but what what you don't what you don't find in any of this analysis is any discussion of like the causal link what is it, between these two things. What yeah Right. What aspect of blackness causes these worse outcomes? That is never in any of this analysis. No one is trying to talk about it. What they say is they just they go, Well look, the statistic says black guy gets X number. I can look over there and go, Yeah, that's a black guy. Uh so I apply the number. Now, if you start to ask them, though, well, like, if you're applying a lower life expectancy, where, where's that coming from? Are you talking about, like, literal pigmentation? Did you do some kind of blood quantum DNA analysis? Are we talking about the fact that they have, you know, certain cultural signifiers? They, they, what is it? What, what, what's the thing? They watch BET? What's your, what do you, what's your fucking point? 
you will never get an answer to this from anywhere. In any yeah, case. I mean, like, just look at the at the football one. I mean, we were, we were bashing the football players for all being, you know, dumb lungheads earlier. Um, but you have to remember, I mean, these people still went to college. Like, they probably had even more of a, of an exposure to some of these words than somebody who spent, you know, their entire life in the projects kind of just out on the street did. So, you know, despite having come from that background, you know, we have no idea really the extent to which to any given specific player, how much that kind of black cultural, uh, you know, receiving that culture growing up really affected their CTE scores, you know? Right. Or, or what, what portion yeah. of blackness would, would be affected. Right. It's, right? it's easy to think we're, how we're, it would have happened, but we don't know in any specific case where that link is at all. Like it's, it's not even remotely a factual concern. We also don't know if if there's some portion that affects one of these variables. We don't know if that's the same thing that affects one of the other variables, such that it's you might say, well, a person's black for purposes of what I don't know life expectancy, but it's, does that mean that they're black quote for purposes of educational attainment? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's no secret yeah. that that you know blackness is not a monolith, or any racial experience is not a monolithic experience um, in in America. I mean, you can even see it from the from the defense side where. If you have a bunch of, you know, poor white yokels who didn't go to college, you're not going to want to be using the white actuarial tables that say that they all went to college. (laughs) (laughs) This is how you know all lawyers are bastards. (laughs) Now now we've talked about the unreliability of the category. We don't know what piece of – we don't know the causal connection, and we don't don't know – we can't drill down and figure out, you know, how much of that thing do you have. But we also don't know is who counts as black. So if – is that – if you look at – the OMB, uh, the Office of Management and Budget, has a circular. Oh, about our listeners know what, what that they is. Say. Right now, you're a tent. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> right. yeah. So what, what they say is what they say is that that the government does collect race data, and the guidance on it is that race is a social construct, and that it's self identity. Uh, you can choose what race you are, and 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 it basically says like if someone identifies as something, you don't get to eyeball them and say that they're wrong. Uh, it. it it tells it directs you know census takers and others that that's that's the guidance on on collecting, uh, you know race specific data, um, but if you se- but that means that all these government statistics are basically running on self identification, uh, but who counts as black here right like like we might say culturally if a person has black parentage they're allowed to say it but then. What if somebody's light skinned? Are they? Do they have the same medical problem that you might you failed to identify in the other category? You, you can start to see how this stuff doesn't it doesn't have any uh, you know intellectual coherence. There's no there's no logic to it. They're just using flat broad yeah. categories that, as that proxies have, without investigating any of the that details. have changed since the '90s. When the '90s when that original memo came out in the '90s, Hispanic was considered a racial category. It no longer is, That's and right. so now we have this kind of semi-racial category of of Latino white, but you know. When Latino people are asked this question, a lot of them just say white either because they think that or because mestizo isn't a category or because they don't speak English and the person putting it down just puts down white because that's the quickest way to do it. And so, you know, when you get outside of the white-black paradigm, it becomes even more problematic and and hard to really pin down where the racial category kind of comes in at the nexus of damages. Right. I mean, what do we? Oh, should we start doing a fucking paper bag test? Like, what the fuck? Are they, I, there's just there's no there's no logic to this, and this problem then propagates even more when we're talking about data collection, right? Not just like what do we do with the plaintiff, right? Like the plaintiff before me, do I assign them a black 
uh, race category or a non-race category, or maybe they're do I do I eyeball them and say they're fifty-fifty and try to give them try to do that? Like you could see how how absurd this practice would become very quickly. But then think about this: it's even compounded on the data collection level, which we have no way to look at. Which is, you have this category in front of you that's in a government-produced chart. And it says there's black, white, and whatever. But did anybody do any of this analysis for identifying the people that all the data is right. based on? Right. I mean, on? Of course um, life expectancy, they can't self-report. They're dead. <laughs> like, I don't think we're not going down and tracking right. down their last used self-reported race. Right. And the census shows that people's identification, their self-identification changes. It shifts. They'll, they'll go from identifying as, as brown to white or or yeah. the other direction. At a 90% um, rate if, over, you're, over if lifetime. you're a quote-unquote Latina professor. But it is something that, that's trackable in government statistics is that more people than you might think, maybe you've never, I've never met a person that I would think of who's done that, but it turns out that, that, is a, that that's a prominent part of race statistics or that people over their lifetime may change where they identify does that count does that how 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 do you analyze that do you now give them different statistics because they reported something else it's just none of this shit makes any fucking sense this is not well thought out but it is how the law works i'm just i'm imagining now as as a plaintiff's attorney saying like sure uh you're saying my client is is black and should have discounted uh damages but um you know, she has indicated to me that she intends to identify as white uh, yeah. in the next 10 years. Well, Michael, <laughs> so, so in fact, allow me to fucking credit you with being more intelligent and inventive than every fucking plaintiff's attorney I've read yeah. in hundreds you could be, of these You could be telling your plaintiffs to strategically not vote for Biden so that they're not politically black and so they don't have to count in some of those categories. The A-Lab podcast yeah. has invented uh, the doctrine of the reverse dolezal. Uh, here in real time (laughs) that's right that's right that's right right. okay so i pulled some cases that we're going to talk about that are just they're pulled these are pulled specifically because of how offensive they are um this first one is this guy christopher hicks so he's arrested by chicago pd dies in their custody shortly afterwards and his death is ruled a homicide so his family sues for wrongful death now we talked about personal injury Uh, earlier but also you can sue for wrongful death and get many of the same kind of damage categories um so the city of chicago hires a damages expert who reduces this guy's expected earnings his lost wages that uh his family's laying claim to in this wrongful death suit or his estate is laying claim to in this wrongful death suit they're reducing it by his blackmail life expectancy okay sorry you get less damages because you would have worked less and you would have lived uh a shorter life because you were black. Now think about the fucking perversity here, right? The Chicago PD just killed a black man and, and it was, you know, very rare case, but it was ruled a homicide. 39 years. That's a very young man. That's how old he was. He's 39 years old. That's well below the national life expectancy for men and black men specifically. But this death is now itself driving down black male life expectancy value. And so, and and, and the city right. has to pay less damage. It, it's literally right. creating a perverse That's... incentive in the most classical, strict sense to keep doing this. Right. Yes. The, the more the more we devastate the black community with like unjust deaths or unjust incarceration that leads to untimely death. Cheaper for... it'll be to keep doing yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. 
And so any mass incarceration program that we have, uh, like the one that we do have, is going to lead to artificially early deaths of black men. It's going to have. It's going to mm-hmm. multiply this. Effect yeah. Over Especially over for wages. Mass incarceration for wages mm-hmm. clearly is going to tremendously decrease the value of educational attainment, of work life expectancy, and of the actual wages. Work life expectancy of that, in particular yeah, of that black yes. men are going to get because I mean yeah. they're if they're facing discrimination because they're black, they definitely were and still are facing discrimination because they were a prisoner. Uh, and so they're going to have way less economic opportunities available to them from the get-go. And that's assuming – Or just years right, exactly, spent yeah, that's assuming they're able to work at all and they don't get out because they're at like 75 and able to do anything. So another case here is uh, – it's a personal injury case um, similar to the one above. A, a black woman, Ellen Reasonover, uh, sued the city of St. Louis – after she was uh, convicted of murder and imprisonment and imprisoned for 16 years. The prosecution had withheld favorable evidence and her conviction was overturned, but when they were calculating the loss of her earnings during her period of wrongful incarceration, they deducted 6.85% uh, from the, the general average of all females of all races uh, because they had to reduce her earnings, quote-unquote, to, to the black population's earnings as opposed to the all-races population earnings. I mean, and you can see it again. It's, it's again. They're creating it again by imprisoning these people for sixteen right. years, and they're using the average anyway. The average right. already has it. There's no reason to race norm right. it, uh, but you know they're getting away with it, and so they go ahead and do it. Now, these two cases are particularly bad because they are municipalities. Uh, now, I'll I'll tell you that there are a lot of these kind of cases out there, but like I picked them because they're way. It's bad when anybody does it. It's bad when a hospital or a company does it. But when you're fucking your own city, your hometown, then, okay, it injures you and then posts up and says, well, I mean, we don't got to, I mean, come on, you're black. Like, (laughs) we don't have to pay you for real. Now, you're a black citizen. You're part of their government. You're under their protection. Right. And, again, you're, you're way more culpable than, like, say, a drunk driver is at generating the lower outcomes in the first place. Like, you are the city. You're supposed to be alleviating that in the first place this shouldn't be the case but it is force killing and and incarcerating yeah and killing black people in in a million other ways and then they go ahead and just say well it's lower that's the way it is along with all the problems we discussed already the, the last problem i just wanted to touch on is that we've talked about all of the inequities that are sort of foisted upon minority populations especially we're dealing with black people who get the worst of this dynamic uh but the other side of this, the, the corollary here, is that white people are really getting a bonus. They're getting away with murder here because mm-hmm. they get to exempt themselves from negative outcomes, which I think arguably perhaps as a, as a group, white people may have, you know, we may have caused. We may have. <laughs> well, might say. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. So we've, we've created anti-competitive environments that depress incomes for women and and uh and and black people and then we get to say well that's your problem now i'm not taking the average with that (laughs) fuck off but then but then even on top of that i've read a ton of these expert reports like i said and when people get asked about you know uh indians or japanese immigrants or you know uh muslim immigrants stuff like that in many cases they'll be asked like well okay well where do those get where do those get put? And always, those people get dumped into white because these labor statistics categories or the, the CDC life expectancy, they don't divide by all these various different ethnicities. They just divide by white, black, and, and Latino, although they, use, they still use the term Hispanic. That means that while white people are getting to exempt themselves and accept away 
uh, the worst outcomes that they may have created for other race groups. In the cases where you have sort of above-average performers, as in the cases of, like, Asian Americans or something, they get dumped into the white category. We get the average <laughs> from them. <laughs> You're not getting away from me, buddy. Uh, yeah. I'm raising my... Th- th- <laughs> Thanks for thanks for taking the violin classes and getting fucking four point six high school average. I'll be taking a cut of that if I get hit by a car. <laughs> I also want to uh, I want to circle back to the uh, NFL really quick because Andy had mentioned earlier that a lot of these statistics, um, you know, the the government produces them uh, with an eye on the the idea is to to fix these problems, right? We want to know what the issue is so we know yeah. what communities we need to invest in, right. you know, where, where interventions could be useful. Um, and that's that's no different. Like the, the race norming statistics that are, that are used in uh, the NFL studies were also done. Like the, the whole idea was you don't want to be like tagging black kids as like developmentally disabled yes, because right, when, right. They're, when they're not, when they're just like coming from, a, a, you know, they're, they're coming up in a shittier school system and, you know, they, they, their parents make less. They maybe they don't That's eat right. as well. And right. All this stuff. And, and this is being used. This these these new norms that were created to help black kids is instead being used to punish you know, black adults that's, in this case. That's absolutely right. even like punishing it in a cool way. Like just like <laughs> shaving 8% off of your fucking tort damage yeah. award. It's preposterous. I mean, it's like, fuck you. It's, it's lowering the cost of doing business <laughs> right. for businesses that fuck over black people is what it is. Yeah. But mm-hmm. Michael, I think it's a really good point. So like these statistics in the government are ostensibly collected with the idea of addressing what might be racial inequities, at least trying to detect them. So that way legislatures can figure out whether there are problems to address. They at least want to know. You just want to be able to look at and see what are the inequities that exist in your society This or, or correct for them. And like you're pointing out, some of these psychological things were, were um, if you don't create that kind of race norming at, at a broad societal level, then when that inequity gets reproduced at the school level, yeah, you end up disadvantaging kids. Right. Right. So these so in, in both cases, these sets of statistics are have some kind of motive behind them of correcting for racial inequity. And then they then you put them in front of a lawyer and they go, well, wait, check this out. I could be a whole new kind of fucking racist. <laughs> Look what I can fucking do. <laughs> Look at what I can fucking do. Oh, my God. If you're listening to this, I hope by now you've identified some you know, intellectual infirmities with some of this practice. And hopefully are a little bit surprised because as we told you at the top, look, facial race classifications in the law generally, you know, persona non grata in the fucking court. Right. But instead, this shit is, this is everyday practice in the mm-hmm. tour. I, I, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to undersell this. Um, most, most of it passes without comment because, you know, a lot of the, most people in the United States, you know, there's still a white majority. So when you look for white statistics, uh, that may pass as, you know, unremarkable. But it's pretty common. It's extremely common. Some experts don't use it, but it's extremely common in the tort system. So, but the question might be, if you, I hope the next question in your mind is, that why wouldn't a black plaintiff's attorney challenge this? Like, isn't, how hard can it be to say, fuck off, you're not doing that to me? And 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 I hope you're having that question, but it's a good question. Right. Yeah, because right. lawyers are ethically right. bound to to at least try to get the damages that that you deserve. Lawyers have to make right. so many shitty, stupid ass arguments in favor of their dumbass clients who fuck up 
And this is a case where this is like one of the one in a billion cases where you have the moral high ground. Right. You get to be righteous and ask for a bunch of cash. Yeah. Like at the same time. You get to make money <laughs> off being good. It's fucking nuts. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So there is no cost to challenge this. Right. The con law yeah. argument, which we are going to touch on just barely, but the con law argument is elementary. There are some academic problems that somebody could jack off to, but it doesn't <laughs> matter because you will never lose. Right. There is no way you put this before. You could win this case with nine Amy Coney Barrett's and they'll just go, oh, yeah, fuck off. No way. No, way. because they love they love saying no race discrimination anyway, mm. because it serves yeah. other interests. Um, right. It's a high cost to defend, okay? If you're on the receiving end of this and somebody does challenge it, which they don't, but if somebody did, you want to write that fucking brief? You right. want to write the brief to go, well, Your Honor, I mean, <laughs> stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason, Your Honor. As, as the client, do you want, when this case is inevitably covered on, oh, like, yeah. the 9 o'clock news or the yeah. 7 o'clock news, do you want it to be, like, Walmart <laughs> argued today in the Supreme yeah. Court that uh, <laughs> black people or, or are NFL, too stupid? Or the NFL, yeah, the NFL. Do you really want to argue black people are too stupid to be compensated for brain with the, damage? With the upside like, being a slight reduction. This isn't the whole case is, is turning on it. This is yeah. a, a, a yeah. small reduction in damages, really. Somehow this, somehow this claim has come up against, like, the one defendant who might actually argue that. <laughs> Incredibly. <laughs> the NFL. Well, it's funny you mention the NFL because the NFL, after a bit of reporting on this, suddenly... Right. Okay, the, the, mm. the initial counsel was like, well, I think we all agreed. Didn't we all agree on this settlement? And then, and then that was not a popular <laughs> statement. And then, <laughs> and then Roger Goodell and, and NFL started saying, well, we, we might, we might want to look into this, which, like, yeah, you fucking yeah, might, you might. Too, okay? Right. Yeah. So uh, the NFL is a great example of even when you have uh, an extremely powerful defendant, in this case, nobody wants to try to write this fucking brief. Even if you do write this brief, like Michael said, go run it by your client. Make them read it. Read, read these pages. You want me to file these with your fucking name on it? So the question is, if it's that easy to challenge, why? This, I think, is much more interesting than the constitutional question. Where are the challenges? Why is it not being raised? Where is it? Yeah. There's fucking no, there's no excuse for this. So I wanted to use this as an entry point to talk about settlement incentives uh, and agency problems. Okay, you, you're... Your counsel is your agent in court. They are your representative. They're supposed to represent your interests, your interests 100%. However, there's some divergence that can happen here where your attorney becomes untethered from you. Uh, so an example is like if you, if I have a case where I get injured and my attorney can settle for 100000 he estimates he can settle for about 100000 today, right? Uh, do a week's worth of work, drafting up everything, $100,000 settlement. Normal compensation, he takes home $30,000, I take home seventy k. The other option is that the case go, gets litigated for two years, and then he estimates he can probably get me about a million dollars. Okay? Now, the attorney, the attorney incentive there is to settle today. Okay? They said they should settle right now and move on to the next case. Now, they're only going to get 30000 and I'm going to get 70000 in the first case. In the other case, they're going to get 300000 and I'm going to get 700000 But the reason they should settle today is because once you take out the costs of litigation, the experts they got to hire that we've just been talking about and all the, all the hours they got to spend and discovery and review and all the you know, medical exams they got to schedule and whatever else, it's almost a wash. Yeah. They're going to end up with thirty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 for two years' worth of work 
or you know seventy five thousand dollars so let's even be generous for two years worth of work uh so it's it's kind of a wash for them they, there's no reason right. for them to do it they should just go through these on volume pump it out get get their 30k and move on but for you you can get seventy thousand today or in two years you can have seven hundred thousand yeah the incentives right. are not the fucking same right, right. but and, your attorney and, and, should settle <laughs> yeah and it's it's uh, uh, presumably it's costs that you're actually suffering too. You know the, that seven hundred k would be what you're actually yeah. you know entitled to. Right. Um, right. And, and, and I will say I think like defense attorneys they're they're quite good at calibrating se- settlements in this. Oh realm. yeah, yeah. They they <laughs> right? definitely like, they they look at oh, the, yeah. the the probability of winning and and what that would be and the cost of litigation and they are able to really kind of formulate a, a best offer. What, what's what's a number that will look very good yeah. to their attorney that will make their attorney think this is worth dropping, right. especially because right the attorney right. has to front yeah. the costs in a lot of you know if it's a two years of litigation you don't have yeah. the money presumably to do that otherwise you wouldn't really have cared that you yeah. suffered these damages in the first place and so if the attorney loses they're out three hundred thousand dollars so it's it's an even bigger incentive to settle it's even worse in the you know, some of these are class cases right the NFL case um, yeah the, you know yeah. it's even worse in the class context because. Uh, you as the class plaintiff are really not the client anymore, right? The class, right? It's this, no. it's the settlement fund right. that eventually, and most of client. your, even most of your retainer agreements that you sign going in as a class, a late, a lead plaintiff in a class uh, action uh, litigation, don't permit you uh, to just take the best offer and walk away, right? Like you've got to now uh, ensure that uh, the class's interests are protected. And if you don't, many of those retainers will include uh, punitive measures against the client, such as you didn't have to pay all of our costs and other things. Uh, so oh once you right. sign up uh, as a named plaintiff in one of these things, uh, the case is really the lawyer's. And it's no no surprise yeah. that many of these tend to settle uh in these kind of opaque ways where, you know, the law firm suddenly you know, walks out with several million dollars and the class walks out with a bunch of coupons, you know, in their pocket. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. You get like a little thing in the mail saying that Bank of America owes you seven dollars. <laughs> right. <laughs> if, you, wow. if you go through jump through a bunch of hoops to like get, you know, to request that that is like, you know, how little do you value right. your time? Right, <laughs> right, right. That you're going to spend an hour to get seven dollars or, or whatever. Right. So the but. point we're trying to make with all of this is that t- taking it back to the race statistics thing, one reason that we probably aren't seeing this stuff is that they don't fucking care. No. They don't care. They're just pumping through these right. cases on volume. They haven't thought about it. It's just how they've always done it. In your case, which is the most important thing to you ever, right? Like you were injured and you've had neck pain for three fucking years because you got T-boned by the UPS truck. And uh, you can't sleep anymore, and it caused you breakup and all this kind of shit. Uh, it's the most important thing to you. They, your lawyer doesn't give a fuck, right? They just have to move on to the next fucking right. case. And so this this little shit, like writing a con law brief or something, like it doesn't even cross their mind. They're not even thinking yeah. about it. The other side right. of it is that it's a totally underwater issue that just no one no one seems to have exposed. But all of this matters in the NFL case because of reasons you guys just said, which is that class counsel agreed to this race norming scheme, which undoubtedly was proposed by, you know, defendants, defendants yeah. experts. Yeah. Yeah. And then counsel was like, yep, sounds good to me. Yep. So where do we <laughs> sign? We always do. Yeah, the class, will, the class will sign. Don't worry. The class will definitely sign. What's that? It's harder for black people? Who fucking cares, man? Just write me a check. So nobody challenges this. All right. There are only two cases 
that I've ever seen deal with this directly. Um, there are some other little ancillary cases which have dealt with you know pieces of this issue, but they're not really worth talking about. But there are two cases which have dealt with it directly. They're both from the same judge, and uh, the second one cites the first one. Um, and it's Jack Weinstein of the Eastern District of New York. Now, if you don't know anything about Jack Weinstein, he's like a real kind of firebrand, creative judge. I would say, I, I would venture to say that if you can if you can be a good judge, Jack Weinstein's a pretty fucking good yeah. judge. Creative gets reversed a lot because he tries some he tries <laughs> some hard stuff, but he tries to does not give a yeah. shit. The guy tries to take yeah. on real problems and give them real solutions, and sometimes the court says you can't do that, but ultimately. Uh, the court systems have benefited a lot from him because he's created a lot of good law and a lot of interesting solutions where courts are like not prepared to deal with them. Right. So right. he gets, in 2003, he gets the Staten Island Ferry crash case. Uh, if you were born in the 90s, you probably were not paying attention to the world when this happened. But the Staten Island Ferry, uh, the they're supposed to have two pilots in the pilot house. They only have one. The guy is zonked on tramadol and Tylenol PM. <laughs> he, he fucking yeah. passes out of the controls, and the ferry blows into the pier full speed. Yeah. Yeah. Why would you even take it's, Tylenol yeah, PM it, while you're It's what you get working? high on if you're in high school. I, <laughs> right. We'll take Tylenol PM, and we'll try to stay up. Well, I think, <laughs> right? I think what they did decide ultimately uh, is that the guy had a pain right. problem. That he was he was yeah. just trying uh, to manage. He was trying to manage, uh, and so he's ODing on this shit because he can't figure out how to manage his pain problem, or just nothing's working. And then he gets addicted, or whatever, um, right. which is its own issue of legal liability right. in this country. Right, right. Uh, but the city was definitely liable. I think that's one of the clearest. That is a problem. Yeah, those are not yes. good facts no. for you as the defendant. No. <laughs> so, so plaintiff in this case, this case is called McMillan. Uh, and the plaintiff in the, in the particular plaintiff we're going to talk about, this is a class of people, uh, you know, liability was established for everybody. And then each individual plaintiff has to come in and establish, excuse me, their particular damages. Right. Uh, and that's because in this case, uh, this plaintiff is a black man who was rendered quadriplegic by the crash. You know, he's a cervical spine, permanent injury. Uh, some people get, you know, they have like bruising or a break or, or they you know, some people die. Right. They're just different types of damages. You can't mm -hmm. just assign a, a flat damage figure. Right. So liability is already determined in this case, and you got to particularize it to the people. So, so this guy gets an attorney and the guy's entire, basically this guy's entire job because he doesn't have to litigate. Remember, he doesn't have to litigate liability. The only thing this guy's job is, is crossing the city's expert right. witness. So the expert had concluded, okay, black man, spinal cord injury, he would have lived fewer years than a white person. Here's your medical expenses, and you get the multiplier of black man's life expectancy, which is less. Let's move on. Right. All yeah. the shit we've been talking about. That's right. right. Yeah. The attorney, who I will reveal that I spoke to this guy on the phone. I, I, I called him during law school and just was like, man, you because you, I've read hundreds of these depositions. I never saw anybody do the thing this guy did. <laughs> never saw a single person do it. And it's fucking brilliant. He, he doesn't really catch that he's on to something at first, but he goes, how do you know this guy's black? <laughs> it's such yeah. a good question. It's a, great it's, question. It's a really it's good, a good question, question to do this with. It's a really yeah. So the expert just starts fucking fumbling. I mean, that you can read the transcript. He's like, uh, or I mean, like fucking look at him. Like he doesn't, he can't figure <laughs> out what to say. So, <laughs> right. so he goes, okay, I get it. I mean, yeah, he, okay, he, he's 
he's black. Is he a hundred percent black? Is he black for these purposes? How do you know? What determines that? And the guy has nothing. The expert is just, no one has ever asked him. He's a career guy. He does this for a job. No one has ever asked him this question. He's never considered it. So he, he's like, yeah. uh, I mean, I just, I just proceeded on the understanding that he was black. And he's like, yeah, you said that. What I'm saying is, how'd you figure that out? The council told me, okay, well, council told you, but did you ask any of the questions I asked? No, blah, blah, blah. So he is just kind of firing away. Uh, and then he moves on from the issue and rotates out. Now, this is taking place in court, and Judge Weinstein is present. And Judge hits pause, and he says, ah, hang on, because Judge Weinstein has never thought about this particular issue, mm-hmm. I guess, before. But now something has piqued his interest, and it's a fascinating transcript to read because he takes the wheel, and he starts questioning the expert himself, and he's like, you do this all the time? <laughs> this is a normal practice? <laughs> this is... This is your yeah. whole thing, what chart, and this is your answer you to this question? This, this is normal for you? Ex- <laughs> right. The guy explains the whole thing, and he's just like, yeah, I mean, you understand, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to drill you specifically, but I have to write a decision on this, and I got to say, it's not sounding, this doesn't, this sound, doesn't like sound legal at all. This sounds this kind of weird. Yeah, this is, I'm looking for the word for this, and it's hard to come up with something other than fucking racist. So yeah. he then writes a decision, again, which is, like, unique in the history of the country, uh, this is suespont. No, nobody has moved for this. He just heard the attorney's question. I went and found the transcript. Oh, I actually, I, it's not that I found. I found the transcript. It's not available online. I called the attorney and he sent me the transcript. Um, and then I read it. And it was just fascinating because you could see Weinstein's interest peak, and he's like, "Oh yeah, this is fucking done right now. No, absolutely no way you're getting <laughs> yeah, away just, with this." Nope. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was very cool. Um, a postscript to that is when I was talking to the attorney, a very interesting thing happened. Um, after this, that attorney, so Wein- he goes, you know, Weinstein tried to come after me, right? And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, he reported me to the fucking bar. What? Wait, what? He didn't say, yeah. What? So I was like, what happened? And you can find this stuff if you look it up. He would, Judge Weinstein was mad that this guy wanted 30%. Oh. The attorney was taking the standard fee, and right. Weinstein said, fucking for what? You didn't litigate liability here. Right. You showed up to cross the expert. <laughs> you want 30% for that? Truly, <laughs> fuck off. Truly, all lawyers awesome. are bastards. Right, <laughs> fucking yeah. bastards. Yeah, even this guy. Yeah, so Weinstein, now. Weinstein reports into the bar. Now there's nothing to report here. Okay, like it's not reportable at all. But this is the kind of guy Weinstein is. He's like, I don't care. Now you get to deal with them. Yeah. yeah. It, uh, he was not suspended on no. that. I don't. I don't think at all. No, that would but, be uh, a warning at best. <laughs> but I will tell you, like I said, he's a pretty cool judge. So one of the things he writes in this decision, which I really, I really liked, he says, uh, this is the way he opens up. He goes, to, he uses a lot of quotations, which I'm going to say, quote, uh, the question poses whether such, quote, racially based statistics and other compilations may be relied on to find a shorter life expectancy for a person characterized as a, quote, African-American than for one in the general American population of mixed, quote, ethnic and, quote, racial backgrounds. The answer is, quote, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's good it's that 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 opinion is a slam dunk opinion yeah 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 he's relying a lot i will mention i just have to shout out since uh he's relying a lot on the research of a ohio state professor martha shamalis who who did a bunch of the initial work on this stuff um he had another case on it in 2015 um we talked about a lot of the particulars in this earlier tim was saying um it's just a it's it's a young latino boy who is experiencing neurocognitive decline and they find elevated levels of lead in his blood 
and then they searched the house that he grew up in and what they found is that the landlord had not properly abated lead in accordance with you know uh prevailing regulations and basically poisoned the kid and made him uh you know not know, economically useful i think would be that's the right the term right yeah right yeah so uh, the, the kid is like not gonna work mm, i mean right. it's, it's serious yeah. neurological and yeah. developmental injuries and he's and, and and the doctors say it's from lead poisoning and what ends up happening is that the landlord's expert witness says well the guy was never gonna finish college i mean he's latino like <laughs> government stats they don't they don't come allow on them. guys right <laughs> and so that cuts a million dollars off the top of his damages and judge same judge weinstein he's like absolutely fucking not now nobody files into motion right. here all right the plaintiff yeah, doesn't the, the lawyer in this case does not do the same thing that the other lawyer did weinstein says right. fuck off this is excluded my previous decision don't ever bring this in front of me again. that's yeah. awesome i mean that, and that neither neither of those team. decisions got overturned on appeal right well no no they didn't and and i, I it, it's an interesting issue that that we should talk about which is nobody is going to appeal such a decision. Right. Again, you see it with the Evanel. They don't want to push it. These guys didn't want to push it. Doesn't seem like there's going to be, maybe maybe some MAGA guy will, will drive his truck into a elementary school full of black children. And then suddenly <laughs> we'll get before the fifth circuit or something. But. <laughs> God. But yeah, this goes to our earlier point, right? Like nobody wants to actually argue this. Like a judge tells you no, and you're not going to be like, well, these are, you're not going to take it up to the circuit being like, look, people use these statistical <laughs> no. tables right. all the time. You're just going to be like, all right, I took that one on the chin, but that's, yeah. that's it. I mean, like, you're certainly, you're not going to spend $10,000 to save the $15,000 to also be known as the most racist person in the federal <laughs> court system. Right. <laughs> Right. And it's not even it's not even one of those issues where you're going to be able to get some, you know, uh, conservative activist billionaire to underwrite. Mm. Yet nobody yeah. is going to support this, which is, again, what makes it so baffling that you don't see these challenges. It should be, it's the fucking easiest fight in the world to win. You go, ah, cut the racist shit. Absolutely not. Yeah. yeah it's like you can you can re you can imagine the John Roberts opinion here. Like so Simple. easily, right? This is the guy who wrote the way to stop discriminating on the basis of race is to stop discriminating. They would on love the basis this case. It's one of those cases like, that they yeah. agree with that lets them appear uh to be you know, forward thinking yeah, it's, on racial it's, justice. It's a decision that they go, oh, actually, Scalia is my favorite justice. Exactly it's, right. It's, it's exactly right. They would love this case, but yeah. they'll never see it. Yeah. So, yeah. So the con law stuff on this, we've said a bunch of times. I don't think it's that particularly interesting. Yeah. Uh, go listen to 5 4 if you want to have that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a shitty podcast. <laughs> the issue there is the, uh, what, the court effectuating the private discrimination that led to these disparities that's right baking right. it into that's the right. state action of the of the court if you will like i don't think this needs to go in the episode but that's like settled law right with the um with like covenants right yeah, that's the whole Kramer thing is, with like yeah. you can't yeah. yeah all right i didn't want to get into this but okay so so sh- well that's more, more as an aside than the app but if we want to go into it let's well there, do it. there's so. an academic who wrote about this issue and he he talks about shelly v kramer i don't think I don't think personally it's a great site because Shelley v. Kramer's been limited to its facts. I mean, it's like, and it's an interesting right. case, and I, and I think they reached a good decision. And what it was was uh, you live in a white neighborhood, one of the covenants in the, a, a racial covenant that used to exist uh, that, that would attach to deeds would be you can't sell to a black person. Well, right. somebody sells to a black person, and they try to kick the black person out, and the black person says, well, no, I don't think so. I don't think you can constitutionally enforce this covenant. Right. And the court 
right. of, of ultimately the Supreme Court was like, yeah, we're not going to give effect to that. <laughs> um, right. We're, we're not going to use the power of the state <laughs> to enforce this this deal right. you guys got. But that, yeah. but that threatened to blow perhaps a huge hole. Uh, the, the court was obviously concerned about how that case was going to get used. Yeah. Especially in a, in a country where redlining was still legal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. 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 So they limited it to its facts. But there is another case, Palmore. Um, father's rights case. Which, father's rights case, that's right. So yeah. a, a guy wants to reopen the custody determination based on changed facts, all right? His, his, ex, has the, his ex has his daughter, uh, but his ex is living with a black guy now in Florida. So the father says, listen, everybody in the world, plus Flo- and Florida especially, is fucking racist. And my kid is going to get, like, pelted with bottles and shit because she lives in a home with a black man. You have to you have to change the custody determination. I should get custody of the child. The Florida court goes, yeah, good point. <laughs> so, fuck. You, you raise an interesting argument. Fuck, I mean. Very compelling. We are, we are racist and shit. You got that right, man. Yeah. So... The Supreme Court says, I don't. We no. can't. <laughs> Sorry. No. 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 The court says we – the rule is that the court cannot give effect to private discrimination. I think you have a very good argument based on everything we've talked yeah. about here that mm-hmm. these ra- use of these race statistics is exactly that. It's clear that many, if not all, of the bad effects that we find in these charts are being caused by either historical or current – private discrimination against the minorities that are depressing their economic outcomes. At least some of it is. It's unarguable that some of it is. And yet you're asking the court to give effect to it when you bring it into the, when you put it in an expert report. Yeah. And I think given that, just to reiterate, given the analytical problems that this determination also has, that all you need to do is use that to say, we just need to strictly scrutinize the use of racial categories and damages. And then all of a sudden, I mean, it Go really, on. yeah, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. You know, if, if your apartment blows up, it really didn't matter. If you're, what your no, race was, it no, has no causal. No one will connection. ever use it again. Yeah. If yeah. There, and it just, just becomes one finding that it becomes that. too expensive to use it. Cause again, it's just a way to just take a haircut on damages. It shouldn't be lost though, that this is an incredible win for defendants to be able to make this argument or to be able to put it into, bake it into their expert reports. One, because as we've said, plaintiff's attorneys don't notice it or challenge it despite it being easy to do so. But also it allows you to start a minority plaintiff off at an automatically lower recovery. Like Tim was just saying, it's a haircut because almost all these cases, they don't go to trial. These these are all going to be settlements, but settlements are framed around what you expect to happen at trial. Right. So the fact that you can make the fact that you can put this argument forth at court means you get to use it as leverage and settlement. Not in front of a jury, too, where they might say, like, we don't actually believe these racial categories <laughs> are all that right. factually. <laughs> <laughs> Assuming someone yeah. raised the issue. Yeah. I think the more interesting problem than the con law, which I think is sort of autopilot, uh, some people might argue whether it was really state action or something, but I think that's all academic bullshit. Yeah. And again, um, the politics around it. It, no one really – there's no society for the use of racial uh, categorization. Well, there is, but yeah. they're, they're not, a, they're not in the federal – yeah, but they're not in the federal yeah. society. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, so more interesting than the con law problem is, is the lawyer problem. 
right? These people who are supposed to be your advocates, they're fucking asleep at the wheel. This is right. your rights, your money, mm-hmm. and they're and they're blowing. They're not even attempting the easiest fucking layup. I mean, the the hoop is lowered to two feet, and these guys cannot get off the bench. It's the highest moral ground, and it's free money, and they you're never gonna lose this fight, and no one attempts it. Well, I think part of it is like you know, it gets back to the Richard Epstein's of the world, right? Like, I, I, why does a court feel the need to apportion this with such facial precision? When in fact, it's all complete made up bullshit anyway, right? right. There's something that's sort of yeah. exactly. so facially appealing to the lawyer brain that, oh, we've got this matrix mm. and these categories. We put all the, you know, we put all the, it's, it's just science. It just works, you know? Right. Um, <laughs> and, and we don't have to question yeah. all of the absurd baked in judgments and just how ridiculous it is uh, when you could just simply use averages and be done with it. Right. Uh, there's there's some there's some there's some sense that there's some virtue in specificity for specificity's sake. It reminds me of kind of like um, I, don't, I don't know if this analogy is apt, but but it just reminds me of like when they break out the chains in football. And they're like, this is 10 yards exactly. And they like measure to the link. And it's like, yeah, but where'd you put the football? You just fucking eyeballed that from 35 yards away in a pile of dudes moving 15 miles an hour. (laughs) What are we talking about here? (laughs) I even and all of and justice and even and all of and an interesting place where this ends up applying and where you can kind of I'm sure I'm sure it's not lost on the listeners that what's going on here in the background is is both conscious and unconscious racism. But one thing that really reveals that is that life black life expectancy comes up in a very particular interesting area of the law which is life without parole. So the Supreme Court has held that it's it's unconstitutional to give a juvenile who did not commit homicide, a life without parole sentence, or a sentence that's effectively life without parole. So if you commit a bunch of crimes and the court attempts to sentence you consecutively to 345 years or something, uh, if you are a juvenile, then you can argue that that sentence is unconstitutional because they have to give you a chance. There has to be a chance that within your natural life you would be released. Your sentence has to be like that. And so some defendants Mm -hmm. in appealing sentences like this have tried to argue, like, listen, black males have a lower life expectancy than white or Hispanic males. So a sentence of 70-plus yeah. years to a juvenile, that's effectively life without right. parole. This is the one person in society who's attempting to use this right. <laughs> statistic right. in, yeah. to their advantage. You know what the court says? Ah, that shit's irrelevant, yeah. man. We're not listening to that. Lost, <laughs> lost colorblind, man. Fuck off. <laughs> of course. Of course. Black guys cannot win with this shit. No. They, can't, they lose in tort. They lose in criminal law. And, like, it puts the... It lets you know that what's, re- you know, again, like I was trying to say, what's really fucking going on here is really obvious. Yeah. Yeah. So so obviously now that we've pre- presented you with a problem, we got to talk about what do we want to do in order to solve it, um, which we're going to shit on a lot of those, too, because yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> this is A-Lab, baby. <laughs> um, but this is something <laughs> is an issue uh, like many things in Congress. <laughs> he's just yeah. dying. He, it's because he know he knows he's been jokerified by this issue. Yeah. And so, <laughs> yes. He's finally yes. snapped. But so so this is one of those many things in Congress where a bill was issued 
Uh, but it's never been out of committee. I don't think anybody's particularly serious about it. It looks like Booker and Gillibrand were the, the main co-sponsors in the Senate. Um, so a, a legal fix theoretically exists. It just says Congress saying that they have to forbid the use of statistics in these federal cases. Um, but it's not necessarily going anywhere. And it wouldn't really affect the issue in state courts other than probably uh, the firms that do this would probably just switch over in order to prevent screw ups if they're doing both federal and state. So I, I would argue that um, if they were to pass the statute, and like, like you said, I kind of agree. It got shit canned and they you know made a statement about it and maybe Booker and Gillibrand were just grandstanding for the press or yeah. something. But if it does get put back in and say, for instance, this Congress were to pass it, I think the, the practice is probably done. And the reason is that you might, you're probably right that this federal statute, it's difficult to make the case that there's a good constitutional power that you know, that that could withstand constitutional scrutiny and that, you know, you could argue maybe they'll use a 14th Amendment power, they'll use Commerce Clause power, I don't know. But I think the ultimate thing is that no matter what they do, if they were to just do it, it doesn't matter if it's unconstitutional because as long as somebody cites it, again, the challenge is going to drop there. As soon as you write the brief, they're just going to withdraw and file a different action. I mean, as soon as the article in the New York Times is written about it, that's going to probably shut down 15 to 20% of it. And then once it stops being the industry standard, then it, you know, stops being used. Right. So if you, I mean, no one's going to, no one's going to spend their time and and dollars litigating the constitutionality of this attempt by Congress to regulate state courts or something. They're just going to go, oh, I'm not allowed to be, forget, fuck it. Yeah, I'm not going to fight this. It doesn't, just move on. Right. This is just something we build into our like future, like when we when we uh, game out our expected costs of litigation going forward. Yeah. We'll just be like, oh, we don't get this little discount right. anymore. Well, <laughs> I mean, there, there are a we'll million of race-neutral yeah. ways to game it in exactly the same way, right? I mean, I'm sure some of the statistics are on sure. educational attainment. Yeah, what do you think these guys are paying for? Right. <laughs> so it, it takes no, five minutes 12. of thought. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it takes five minutes of thought to kind of yeah. hide it. It might it might not be as strong, right? Because obviously, if you get somebody in the black category, you get all of those kind of social factors impacting their ability to claim damages. But it can be hidden pretty well. This is really just talking about not doing it in a facially <laughs> racial and racist way. Yeah. Let's say it did get fixed. You could you could say, listen, why are, why do you have to do this facial race classification? Why can't you just narrow down by socioeconomic class? I mean, the second order question would be like, well, why is that good? Right. Right. Like, why should the why should the poor guy whose back you broke be limited to the the poor amount of wages he was going to get? You just broke his fucking back. Yeah. And and then like a and fucking the, king. The, the justification is that it's fair because that's what the law requires of it, right? Not to put them a penny more than the damages that they would be at. But listen, right. we can't fucking fix everything, okay? I, I, <laughs> we're not we, we we're not even sure we can fix this. We can't fix but I, I, at a minimum, this seems pretty bad. And it, and and the interesting problem is again, like we've said before, that everything is on your side. All the incentives are towards doing it, and it's just baffling. Just watching no plaintiffs' attorneys even trying. They just don't even fucking right. care. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, at the very least. What you can do is catch somebody with their pants down like that guy did in the Staten Island Ferry, the Staten Island Ferry case and, uh, you know, help your client out that way. I mean, that's the that's, the that's how easy it could be. That's right. how easy it could be. Yeah. You just start asking the guy, how do you know he's black? And he's going to, man, they, they, they've never thought about it. They have yeah, no, no fucking answer. There's no way. There's no way that <laughs> and, any of I them mean, have an answer I mean, this is another benefit. 
This is another benefit we didn't talk about. There is nothing like taking one of these PhD guys apart. I mean, God, it feels so fucking good when they're wrong. They haven't thought about something and you got them in a corner and they just start spinning and umming and uh and trying to make shit up and make themselves sound stupid. It just, it's the most beautiful feeling that you can have as a fucking (laughs) litigator. And these guys are passing it up. So now you have the edge when you go practice. Yeah. So for all the reasons we talked about, you're probably never going to see a Supreme Court decision on this because, like we said, nobody wants to litigate it. There's not going to be any appeals even if you win. The only cases we've seen to raise it are some judge raising it sua sponte. Plaintiffs miss it. Defendants aren't going to fight it. If it if it gets handled at the federal statute level, maybe something there. But uh, you're never going to see a Supreme Court decision right. on this. I don't think it possibly can make it up to that. Yeah. If some smart-ass actuary uh, starts running his mouth about uh... – uh, racial life expectancy uh, or something like that on the stand in one of your cases, a lab listener, you can just smile <laughs> yeah, knowingly. That's what I'm saying. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> and then take him <laughs> apart because you listen to this episode. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. That's right. That's the, that's the one incremental benefit we provided to you. Entertainment. <laughs> Oh, the man.